Welcome to Archetypes and the Planets, where Andre Carr and I, Bea Gonzalez, invite you to think metaphorically as we explore how we have collectively translated the map of the sky into our mythologies, religious systems, and personal psychology. Okay, so we're going to speak about Erius. Finally, I think we've spoken about this, you and me before, actually, Andre, but I've now got a bigger theory about Iris uh, since we last spoke about it. Oh, good, good. Uh, yes, I'm adding to it as I go along. All right. So I want to just point out that it's Richard Tarnas's model that I'm following here, the idea that there is a synchronicity between the discovery of a planet and what is going on out in the collective, right? Mm-hmm. So just quickly, Uranus Revolution, 1781, French uh, American uh, Industrial Revolution, then 1846 is Neptune. Actually, I found something out about Neptune that's really interesting. It's associated with the unconscious, which is, of course, my big area of uh, interest. And the first time the word unconscious shows up in a textbook is actually in 1846, which is a great little link up to what Neptune is all about. And then you go to 1930, and of course, that's Pluto and Nazi Germany and the Depression and, you know, and the atom bomb, which is actually you know, 15 years after Pluto was actually um, identified or discovered or whatever you want to call it. So then we moved to 2005 and Mike Brown at Caltech and his group identify Eris. And I don't know if you know the story of the identification. He actually wrote a pretty good book called um, uh, How I Killed Pluto and Why It Had It Coming. Um, and it's actually a pretty good book because he's, he, he's you know, he's, a, he's a, a scientist, but he's actually a pretty good writer. And one thing before we, we go ahead, I thought I'd just share the screen and show you his, his um, uh, chart, because if you had a, sort of a, a people that would just try to match charts with what someone has done, this is, you know, uh, totally <laughs> the chart you would expect from a person who not only actually discovers a planet, but actually is really interested in re- the reclassification of other planets. So check this out, right? You've got, um, uh, well, you can see it yourself. I'll just point out what I noticed. And maybe you can put it. So first of all, you've got all these planets here in Virgo and all the planets in, in Gemini. So all ruled by Mercury in Gemini. So this is like the uber classification plant, uh, chart. I've never seen anything like it with all of it concentrated on two sides. But something I think you would really appreciate, given the um, video you just did on Putin and Saturn-Pluto, is he literally has that Saturn-Pluto opposition at birth, right? So he's born, in, and that happens every 40 years, so it's not something that everybody's born with, but he has the Saturn up. And if, when I think about it, I think what he's saying t- to uh, Pluto is no, which is what Saturn says to you. It says, no, you are not a planet. Yeah. So I mean, I I think this is pretty good, right? That's a great point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the Saturn comes in and says, I'm blocking you. Yeah, yeah, you're no longer uh, classified as that as such. But just, um, I don't know what this time of birth is. He's born in Alabama. I, I'm, from my understanding, only California has published times. I don't know. It's rated as an A rating, but there's been some talk about uh, on Twitter about you have to be careful with some of the ratings. They're not really turning out to be. But actually, if you think about it, all those planets in the 12th house make sense for a researcher, someone who's sitting and looking at the uh, sky and, and trying to uh, figure something out. So it kind of does work, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put my I wouldn't put my mind on it. The other thing is, I you notice I don't have Eris actually on this chart because I forgot, but it would be at about uh, 11 degrees in 1965, right? 11 degrees Aries in a seventh house. So his relationship is with this planet that he can't stop talking about. So anyway, I thought that would be interesting just to just to start us off uh, when he actually um, discovers or you know sees or sights his planet. He is immediately um, aware that 
he has to, he, that Pluto has to be reclassified because of the, the fact that Zerus is as big as Pluto, then he's thinking, well, there's going to be other planetary bodies that are as large, and this is going to be a mess. So he starts arguing at the astrological, uh, the International Astrological Union, that this must be done. And there's this big meeting where they all decide to demote Pluto, like, which I always I find funny, of course, you know, sure, try it if you can. <laughs> demote it all you want, right? Especially, uh, especially his Pluto. I'd be saying, yeah. say, are you sure you want to do this? Yes, exactly. But okay, so they demoted. One of the things that I find really interesting about this idea of the synchronicity between naming a planet and the actual characteristics that the planet seems to have um, archetypally is that I wish some of these guys would just take a course in Greek mythology uh, to maybe understand what they're even doing, because Eris is one of the most troublesome, uh, as we'll get into the mythology, right? one of the most troublesome forces out there. She had a sister called Harmonia. Now, do you, Harmony, right? Do you imagine if they've named it Harmony? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so ridiculous as to think that anything would Wait, change. Her, so her, sister, her sister's Harmonia, is that true? Harmonia, yes, it's Harmonia. ridiculous. So he goes well, for Eris. And, and the way that, um, I'm just going to stop sharing for a while, then I'll go back to this. Um, the way I read about it is that he um, he was he was taken with Xena. I've never seen this show, but there was a, a show on TV called Xena, Xena the uh, the warrior princess yes. or something. Do you remember this? I never yes. saw it. So I, I, have no I didn't see it, but I know I know this show. Yeah, because you see those pictures on the web. When if you search for right. Eris, you get Xena often. You know, as, as right. an image. Yeah. Right. So here he is. He's obsessed with Xena. So he calls this planet Xena before he calls it Eris. And at some point, he thinks, well, you have to follow the Greek nomenclature you can't go off and give it a, a crazy name so then he comes up with Eris and one of the things he says in his book which I just found astounding is how that was his favorite goddess and I'm thinking okay um, of all the goddesses you choose the one that is associated with major destruction in the ancient world because that is what Eris does um anyway so he he names it her Eris and so let's now look well, like at she's in his marriage house it's in his marriage house <laughs> I mean it's not well, I the know. interesting, yeah, I know, it's the whole thing. By the way, you know, he's really attached to being the Pluto killer. His, his actual Twitter handle is at Pluto killer. So That's I'm a, thinking... Know, by the way, it squares his son. Did you see that too? That Pluto... Yeah, we can bring it back up. Uh, I can I can bring up the uh, chart. That Pluto, he, it, it's, it's, it's quite incredible that it's not just Saturn opposite Pluto. The sun is squaring both ends. Right. Yeah, I didn't even notice. I mean, I didn't pay attention. I was just paying attention to the actual concentration. You could even drag... Uh, it's valid to even even the Jupiter. So you get a, a Jupiter Sun uh, conjunction, right. and 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 even look at the nodes too. This is a right. classic. One of the things about the nodes is that if you uh, you put planets uh, in square to them, you know where they're where they're they're parked, you get a karmic it's like the world pulls you in some direction, and you become obsessed with that particular topic. And all of this is pointing to his. Uh, to his Saturn-Pluto opposition. So it's incredibly wired in the chart. Yeah, no, no, it's incredible. Now, what would you think? Like, I was thinking about him. He's very much attached to being the Pluto killer, clearly, because if you're not going to name a planet, what's the next best thing? You've killed off another one, right? Uh, this is a big deal. I mean, when I was in, in London, it was very thrilling to be Westminster Abbey sitting on, um, on, you know, looking at Herschel's grave, just because of the association with Uranus, right? So he's done that. What would happen now? I was thinking about this. Um, Saturn is, he's going he's about to have his, second Saturn return, right? In about a year and a half, it's going back in there. So I'm just wondering, there's still a huge argument in the ast uh, astronomical community about bringing back Pluto. So it would be interesting to see if at his second Saturn return, that might yeah. actually happen, who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing with this is that, to, 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 as commenting on the astrology, to me, the because the synchronicity of finding something 
is what makes the astrology really valid, but that's yeah. not going to play well with astronomers. No, of course not. It's just that to me, Pluto is, was discovered first, that immediately grants it a special power, and Eris being the one that displaced it is the next important one. Right. Even though you'll then hear, yeah, but there are others like Haumea, Makimaki, they, right. they're close to the same size. These all are around the size of the moon, by the way. They're all pretty small. Right. So then, you, But then you start arguing, well, Eris is the same size as Pluto. Okay, well, that counts. But if we keep going, we add too many. Well, those are not going to be as important as Eris because Eris right. came in first. That's my, my right. sense of the synchronicity of astrology. Okay, well, let's continue because I think I'm going to make an argument as to what this might mean. Uh, Karen yeah. LeGrice, who was a student of Richard Tarnas, did write a book about Eris ages ago, but I think it was too early, and I think you have to really wait. If you think even about Pluto, it was 1945 when the atom bombs are dropped that you really get a sense of how treacherous Pluto might be, right? So I'd say that he just jumped the gun a bit. So just going on to um, where what, what the myth is, it's associated, of course, with the Iliad, but it's associated with a really big deal that happened, and we're only starting to realize post-2006, when he actually figured this out, what a big deal this is to the development of human consciousness. And that's that in the Iliad, the, the story is the judgment of Paris, right? It doesn't actually show up in the Iliad, but everybody in the ancient world would have known that this is why the Trojan War happened. The Trojan War is supposed to have happened maybe in 1250 BCE. There's a lot of argument about, you know, the, the, when you go that far, getting actual um, uh, evidence for anything is going to be very dodgy. But the point about that, as you know, and I'll simplify it, is that um, there's a wedding, the wedding of the parents of Achilles, who plays a big role in the Iliad. Uh, all the goddesses are invited, but the goddess of discord, i.e. Eris, is not invited. And there's many reasons. The, the myths can have many variations. So some of them say there's not enough space at the table, whatever. But the majority of the myths will say when talking about Eris, we'll say the majority of the versions will say, no, it's because she is the goddess of discord and you don't want the goddess of discord at a wedding. I would argue that that's the exact thing you want at your wedding because the psychological principle is that if you don't invite it to the wedding, it's going to show up in your marriage and it's going to show up twice as big and, and twice as nasty, right? But they decide not to invite um, Eris. So what happens is that uh, she shows up anyway. She jokes up with the ultimate uh, thing, which is the golden apple or the apple into which is inscribed to the fairest, right? Throws it in the middle of the table. The three goddesses, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite fight for it. And the way they fight for it is they bribe the person who's going to make the choice. Now, Zeus is really smart. I mean, I think Zeus is probably the most interesting character. Um, he decides, well, I don't want to choose this because I'm going to get into trouble no matter which one I choose. They're all going to get mad at me, right? One of them is his wife, who's always mad at him. So he says, okay, I'm going to pick up some sap to come in and do this. And so he finds a young man who is a prince of Troy, who's only 17. I mean, you know, we're thinking, I don't know, in myth, you don't really have an exact age, but he's an adolescent, right? Or just out of adolescence. So the three goddesses offer their stuff. And, you know, one offers, well, you'll rule Asia. The other one is, well, you'll uh, be skillful in battle. And the third, Aphrodite said, I'm going to give you the most beautiful woman in the world. Well, you kind of know where this is heading because he's going to choose the most beautiful woman in the world. So he chooses Helen, who unfortunately is already married to Melanias. And this is what starts the Trojan War. Now, one thing that's, this is where it gets interesting for me. So this big war happens, it lasts a long time. The Iliad recounts it. The follow-up to, to the Iliad, which is the Odyssey, is the story of Odysseus, one of the um, players coming back home and how long it takes them to get home. What's really super interesting, and this is where um, I've started, and I want to point these to these uh, three books out. There is a thinking now with the brain that something happened between 1250 BC and where we are now, um, or actually be between uh, 1250 BCE 
and even the Greek classical period, which is about 500 uh, BC, with respect to the brain. In other words, the gods in the Iliad are very enmeshed. They're very much involved in human lives. They're taking sides. They're creating even more, uh, more problems. But once you go beyond that, the gods no longer belong inside. They're kind of projected outwardly. And so the idea here is that uh, using, especially this guy, Mogokris, using the idea of brain lateralization, that we started developing the left brain. And the reason we, start, um, the, the reason we started uh, developing the left brain as a whole is because we started writing. And writing, 90% of us are right-handed, so you're developing the other side of the brain, right? As we did that more and more, now the right and the brain left do the same things, but they their matter of attending, the way they attend to things is different. So the, um, the uh, left brain sees the parts, the right brain sees the whole, here's the problem. The right brain can see the left, the left cannot see the right. So what's happened over time is the left brain has thinks it's the only thing in town. And the way that, that that manifests is, for example, you go to a doctor and they see a liver. They don't see they are part of a whole system. That's just a reductionist way of looking at it. But what McGilchrist argues is that this has caused almost a, a low-level mental illness, generally, because we're no longer able to connect. Actually, by the way, you know, one of the reasons I love astrology, it's a connecting language. It's getting us back to myth. It connects things together. It makes you feel somehow like things these synchronicities kind of bring things to life. That's not something that the general collective is all that interested or they'll dismiss it. Anyway, these three books point to that, which is why I think the Iliad is particularly interesting. But there's another story about Eris before we go back to 2005 and what I think is connected to this. And the story is in one of the tellings by Hesiod, who was a Greek poet, she actually helps Zeus do something that is never done before on one day to get back. I'm not going to go into the to the details, but they reverse the order of the sun setting. It's the only time that the sun sets in the east and it's a violation of the natural order. And so one of the things that's often been said is, is Eris pointing to the ecological crisis, the climate crisis that we have, right? Because 2005, if you remember, or mm -hmm. 2006, that's when Al Gore released. That's when it really hit the hit the consciousness, right? That, um, yes. uh, what was the name of that film that he released? Oh, uh, come to truth. me. Incommunity yeah. Truth, right? So that part of the Eris myth is, is um, troubling, shall we say, right? Okay, so where do I think this is heading for me? Oh, by the way, here are her children. And this is why maybe he might have wanted- Is there U.S. children? Yes, so look, look at these names. Oh, Disputes, manslaughters, blindness. But but please pay attention to for, for what I'm gonna do next or where I'm going to connect it. Words, okay, logos, words, uh, grievances, hardship, murders. I mean, everything here is- are These are her children. Oh my Lord, oh my Lord. Oh, <laughs> it's my so funny. <laughs> you wanted harmonia here. Anyway, so here it is. I'm gonna stop sharing and then I'm going to- um, <clears throat> posit what I think this might be related to, okay? So if you look back, you may say, okay, 2005, 2006, you know, you did this with um, Saturn. Uh, what happened, if you remember, the tsunami killed 230,000 people. There was uh, an earthquake um, in, I think, Kashmir that killed 73,000 people. There was a cyclone that killed 70. It was a complete disaster. So you can say, okay, that connects to that Hesiod story. But I think there's a story we're only realizing now that might even be uh, more connected. In 2004, a guy at Harvard creates something called face mash, right? Which is what he uses and his friends are using at Harvard to, to rate the women at Harvard. So just think of the Eurosmith and the rating of, uh, or the women that are involved, this contest that involves women, right? That becomes Facebook eventually. It becomes Facebook. First, it becomes the Facebook. That's how what he calls it. By 2006, and a great synchronicity, in 2006, September, the month of September, Eris gets accepted as the name that that planet is going to be, because I think before it was B313 or something. And in the same month, Facebook goes and is made accessible to everybody 
over the age of 13. Prior to that, it had only been in, um, in you know, universities. So the reason I think this may be linked is that if you think of what evolved from Facebook, right? It's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's all of the social media. By 2016, um, if you follow the journalist, Carl Cadwaller, she actually documented how incredibly powerful it was used by Russian bots, by Russian money to uh, influence Brexit, to influence the 2016 election, and eventually by 2020 to divide us even on the subject of vaccinations. That's how incredibly insane this, this machinery that was created then. Now, it was created with the idea of let's get together, let's talk, let's post pictures, right? But it's turned into one of the most toxic things. And, and actually, when you saw those words of the children, um, women will tell you that being on these social media sites is actually a scary thing, especially if you have a kind of a public account because people can come in and they can, you know, make certain and, and it gets it gets pretty nasty, which really uh, relates well to the story. Mm. Um, so that is the one thing that I think for me, yes, all this destruction on the ecological level. But I think now the last thing is that if she's not invited to sit at the table, right, which is the story of Erie. She basically is not giving a seat at the table. The third thing you could bring into is if you think of what happened, I, I know that Tarnas links it to the uh, Saturn uh, Uranus, but you can also link to Uranus being around the, the idea that you start getting Occupy uh, uh, movements, which say, you know what, we're tired of this. Uh, we're, we're tired of uh, not being included. We're tired. It's not only women. It's every minority group that has always been included or excluded from the conversation. So that could be the third thing. But uh, for some reason, I keep going back to that face thing because we didn't really see how much damage the whole social media network did until very recently where I think it was just so exaggerated that we thought oh my god um, one thing that just came to mind the other day so since the Russian invasion of the Ukraine vaccine misinformation on Twitter has gone down by 90 percent why because all these bots have been redeployed to support Russia and if that doesn't tell you that there's been some really bad actors involving a lot of money and a lot of people that are really jostling for power I mean I don't know what would so that's where I think they're connected really is that so wait a second you're saying that since the ukraine invasion bot activity has gone down 90 percent in relation around the issue of vaccine that's vaccine what somebody was that's reporting brutal, yeah. right? so that tells you that that russia has been you know this is the thing about russia right i hate to say it but they're basically constantly at war with the u.s they're they're, they're just yeah. they get, get in your face and they they just do massive disinformation the other thing by the way with iris is that just turning to that is that is that it's no surprise for the U.S. because it's now locked into a square of mercury and it moves so slow that it's not getting out for years. You know? No, of course, that's the problem with the U.S. in general. I don't. Yeah. I, so, I think, though, I think, though, with the with the issue of um, the U.S. And, and this, it wasn't only actually the U.S. Do you remember that whole Catalan separatist movement in Spain? That's yes. fueled by Russia today, by the way. It, it, at some point, something changed. I mean, we're Spanish. We know what goes down there. There's always been, oh, I'm Gallego and whatever. But something really, really uh, mobilized around 2011 or whatever. And they started seeing that the top things being shared were coming from Russia today, which we all know is the ultimate, you know, organ of misinformation coming out of Russia. They've been involved in that. They've been involved in the uh, Yellow Vest uh, strikes in France. It's not, and Brexit is a clearer involvement. I think part of the problem is that Russia pays off a lot of people, including politicians and movements, and the Catalan movement might be one of them. Uh, I don't know that one particularly, but I do know in, in England, there's a lot of conversation about how many politicians, including the guy who led the charge, Neil Farage, right? He is definitely uh, connected to Putin. So if, if we don't reform our political systems, I really don't know how you're going to fix this. And this is a problem that may take, I don't know, a long time because power, you know, once it's concentrated, you're not going to get mm -hmm. it away from people. Sure. But yeah, that that is for when it started affecting public health, I think you start thinking just how nefarious this whole thing is, right? Yeah, Not wonder, that you didn't know before. Yeah, I wonder with with Iris when they uh, the ultimate 
sign that it'll get connected to because if you say environmental, then you would look for maybe uh, uh, some kind of a Gemini Sagittarius as the environmental signs, the near environment, the far environment. You notice that people that are into like Al Gore with the weather thing, the warming, he's got his planets cutting across three nine. So he's, oh, interesting. in fact, he's an Aries, which is hot with Neptune opposite and three to nine. That's, you know, global warming. <laughs> it's, it's remarkably accurate, right? But with Eris, if you say that, you do take away the other feature, which is if you think Facebook uh, and especially the relationship to, to women and relationships, period. Like my feeling is that Eris may be the co-ruler of Libra. That's mm. suspicion that I have right now. Yeah, okay. uh, and, you know, if people say, oh, well, Libra, you know, that's a nice energy, really. Let's talk yeah. about Putin. You know, it, it's not, <laughs> not clearly, or, you know, Libra is a cardinal sign. The masculine, yeah. Yeah. So it's a possibility that we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out as, right. as time passes. But, but it's, yeah, it's pretty clear though, you're bringing up that there are all these, different levels where it's affecting uh, multiple really important things at the same time. And, and it's, it, it's literally creating that discord, that chaos. Oh, yeah. But I mean, how, think about the words, right? Where is this chaos playing out? It's playing out on social media. Before you and I could have a conversation, it would be limited to us. But suddenly this conversation is happening in public with people commenting uh, who you don't know. And you, you know, maybe whoever they are, they're hiding behind you know, uh, pictures, we don't know who they are. And so, yeah, this is something we have. And of course, there are no controls over it because no one is is willing to step up and say there has to be some sort of um, controls about even whether when you go on Twitter, maybe you do need to give a license, a driver's license or prove who you are. But those engines or those organizations don't want to do that because it will limit how many people get on their sites. So it's a kind of a, a insane situation. It's only in governments. I think the EU, which is generally way ahead of everybody, is going to start doing that. They're going to start imposing some restrictions and frankly, Erica, when everybody says about free speech, you need some responsibility being taken as well. You can't just have unfettered everything, right? And so I'm hoping that that will happen. But right now, I don't see anything. I just see more discord, more insanity. And yeah, you're well, seeing- yeah, you know, and, and you could you could even another uh, 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 cyclic or cyclical thing, cyclical relationship is that if you were pointing to the to the most uh, 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 discordant years. Aside from, for example, yeah, the Jupiter, uh, Pluto, Saturn conjunction. So there's lots of, you know, there's astrological evidence that it correlates with the pandemic and so forth. But it, they didn't mention Eris in that account. And Eris is square those. And the thing that is most incredible is that Eris has been squaring Pluto. And that happens very rarely, right? Because when these two planets separate, Pluto will, will uh, move slower, or sorry, Eris moves slower, Pluto, despite its uh, generally slow speed, it'll take off and it'll leave it there for forever, pretty much, right? And it just turns out that now it's there. And I, and I thought to myself that the pandemic is also explained by Pluto square years, not just the idea that it's the other three planets, because if you think about it, Pluto square is years for everybody. It's the entire planet. You don't point to a country and say, oh, this country is getting, no, everybody gets Pluto square years. So right. it's this conflict between uh, between those two. And wouldn't that also be the conflict between the plutocracy, Pluto, and Eris, which is the discordant force that says, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to fight you. We're going to, you've left us off the table. We want a piece of the action. So you get 
turmoil, tremendous turmoil, because the plutocracy, the idea is that they've built this power and they don't want to let it go. This is Putin's, Putin's game. As, yeah, yeah, no, as I, look, it's very everything. clever. Yeah. yeah, They had lots of practice during the Soviet Union and they're now perfecting it, uh, or the key. I mean, he was part of that whole structure, so he's just using it. And the really sad part is how everybody buys into it. Like one of the things you're told always on social media is don't respond to the troll, right? Ban them or banish them if you have an account but don't get engaged in with them because that's what creates more of it. But it's human nature to actually just jump on and try to argue with somebody. And during the whole vaccine thing, I mean, it just got scandalous, right? What you were seeing, the level of misinformation, the level of vitriol, the attacks, the irrational attacks on people, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know how you fix it. I mean, I, maybe Aries is so small, slow moving. I mean, isn't Aries in Aries till 2048 or something? So we're yeah, not gonna Aries, get rid of Aries doesn't get out, uh, yeah, it's, for many years, decades, it'll take, I think it is about that 2040 or 2050, but Pluto, we'll move out. Pluto I, the minute, not the minute, sorry, the year <laughs> that Pluto enters, gets close to Aquarius, first of all, already that's uh, uh, signs that are, that are line, they're not square anymore, and they're no longer, I mean, it's pulling away, it'll keep moving, right. and so then I think about another thing, Pluto rules vaccines, vaccines were discovered when Pluto came online, it makes perfect sense because a vaccine is the idea of you're introducing a small poison to immunize the entire system. Right. I think vaccines are brilliant. They solve yeah, so many problems, but probably that square is in, in, in large measure responsible right. for why worldwide, because it, well, you probably say that it's been the West, but- uh, No, it's been everywhere. I mean, because I heard Russia too, and Russia, they had problems. Yeah, yeah, in Hong Kong. Do you, do, you, do you see the latest data out of Hong Kong? They're having, I, I find this actually hard to believe. Their older population did not get um, vaccinated properly, and their death rate is, because of course the older people in the population will always be more vulnerable, they're seeing much higher death rates than you would expect. So they had been free of it, but again, uh, and you see like country to country comparison, New Zealand was brilliant at, at managing this. I think they have 62 overall deaths, okay, from COVID. Uh, I mean, so when I hear people talk about this, it, it annoys me and, and I get angry, but you think, okay, this is where we're at. We just have to move on. On the issue of Eris squaring Pluto, if my theory is that uh, social media is very much involved with this whole Eris thing, then it is social media that was fueling all of that craziness uh, around vaccines, right? It was people were looking at yeah. Facebook and deciding that that's they, they, they were getting their information from whatever their tr trusted sources are on Facebook, like their uncles or whatever. And that was what was really fueling it, right? So it, it actually does make sense what you're saying, Eurus and Pluto. Now, Pluto gets out of Capricorn, what, 2025? Is that right? Around that yeah, time? fully, fully. Right, I mean, okay. it, by 24, I think it makes a dip in to Aquarius, but you really shouldn't count it until it's fully out. Right. right. And I think it's 25 when it. 25 is it's full. Now the other thing too is that is that the era, the social media that's fit because you you could strictly speaking you'd say social media is would be again more of a Gemini Sagittarius thing third time maybe the eleventh you would go to the eleventh but even if you said Libra or just the general nature of of um, eras it connects to relationships I mean it's yeah, obviously it's that sure. so as soon as you say social you know you're you're in that realm the other thing too is that Curiously, it would be that Eris and Pluto, in a way, get into this runaway battle and they completely overwhelm the Saturn. Saturn would be the idea of put on a mask, create protection, <laughs> cover yourself. It's simple. Like, I remember I talking with scientists and I, all I said to them is, OK, let me just try to understand something. Is it true or is it not true that at, at a point, at the worst possible moment in the planetary invasion by this, this horrible thing, if everyone had just put on a mask, what happens? 
the virus dies because it can't transfer from one person to another. This is what it is. It's it's a transference, which again is a social thing. We're not talking about a, a you know mysterious uh, thing that can't be traced. It's traced by the fact that it's airborne and moves across. Right. Otherwise, it has no place to go and it disappears. Right. So right. this is like violating Saturn in the in the in the worst possible way. Because Saturn would say, create a defense, block right. it. You know. Right. Of course. Yeah. So with respect to, because of its bizarre orbit, it's about, what, 558 years, and it seems to, it's right now in the sky, the furthest away it'll ever be from the sun, right? It moves a lot faster opposite, and Libra would move really quickly, but it moves very slowly. It's been, hasn't it been in Aries since 1928 or something crazy? Like really early in the 20s, it went in, and it won't leave for 100, and so it stays in Aries for about 120 years. Is that right? uh yes uh, okay so, so on on a, okay, here's a question so on a on a like level of um a personal chart something that moves so quickly would have to have a very small orb wouldn't it for it to actually be operative in a person's chart no or yes 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 uh that's true in transit yes for sure uh yes in fact i can verify that in my own oh. chart because it turns <laughs> okay. out i get affected by yours uh but yeah the orb is tight the problem is that the, because the orb is tight, God help you when it finds you, right? It better be, <laughs> it better be a useful, like this is the thing about Trump. He just can't get out of Eris now. And it's it's so ironic because what he's done his whole life is major Eris violations. This is the way the man has lived, right? Yeah. Now, I mean, an astrologer would have told him, look, it's sitting there parked in your, in your in Aries. And when you reach uh, your 70s, this thing is going to lock in and it's not going to let go. You'll be 90 of more before it lets go. And because it's part of a T-square and, and all these things that uh, he's done that reveal Eris, like the class, uh, women pageants. Pageants are Eris. It's this thing where true, the, the dark side of Eris, when you're doing cutthroat competition about who's more pretty, right? You, you said earlier, Aphrodite won that battle, right? So it's about, yeah. so it descends into that. However, just because they made the choice, you know, the, the young man or whoever chose the, well, it was it the young man that chose? Uh, yeah, Paris, Paris, oh, the, uh, the, oh, of, uh, course, that's, uh, of course he was going to choose her, obviously. Of course. Right? <laughs> okay, so, so like, right, because if it's if someone different might have said, no, no, we should go for wisdom. But the point <laughs> is that you, it's still there. So Iris holds the promise of Juno's point of view and Pallas Athena's point of view, which is right. the wisdom and the, maybe the idea of, status, social, right, social right. adjustment, social responsibility even. I mean, you have to give that to, to Juno. You wouldn't give that to everybody, right. right? So that would be helpful. But yeah, no, the, the idea of in Aries, first of all, it's been in Aries since the 1920s. Interestingly, when I looked at this, I noticed that the women first were given the right to vote when Aries was really late in Pisces and was coming online in Aries, but it took them 60 years to actually vote differently than men. Because the whole idea is that if women are voting differently than men, then they're not bringing in their point of view. No, they're not. That no. you expect. And that started in the 19, late 1980s, which if you notice, uh, th that's why from that point forward in the US, the government, the vote has always been democratic. Whenever Republicans win, they win by, by through the electoral college, not by mm -hmm. vote count. And the mm -hmm. vote count is tilted blue because of women. Clearly, right, they're, right, they're avoiding right. that way, right? So yeah, Aries, okay, so it's in Aries from 1927 until Taurus 2048. That's right, the, right. So, so can, 
I, I should add one thing though. I mean, every archetype has to have a light and a dark, right? So there is an actual, believe it or not, a positive side of Eurus, which is mentioned by Hesiod. He actually had two Eurus. He, he said there are two of them, which you can always say, well, there are two faces to this, to this archetype. And he talks about, and this is so true in the arts, given that this is where I come from. And I saw it with Will, my oldest son, when he went to a high school that was an arts high school and he, he studied film. And one of the things uh, Hesiod makes a question, uh, comment about Eris is that competition actually helps you because it makes you better. Yeah. So let's say, um, you know, generally, if it's healthy competition, right? Now, I noticed something interesting. When Will was in competitive sports and he was playing at a pretty high level, that kind of competition was Eris level insanity. I mean, the parents were screaming at the kids. It, it was it was ugly. I didn't like it at all. But then we moved into, when he went into that arts high school, uh, the two people that ran the film program, and these kids were competing for prize money. I mean, Will won $500 one year or can of film because the film industry really supports this Cool. But what they tried to emphasize to the kids is it's a collaborative effort. You cannot make a film if you don't get all the kids involved. So they would help each other and they would come to our house and be making the films. It was in a great, a great environment. So I see that level of competition, that idea that pushes you forward because excellence will push, push you forward as the right or not the light side of Eurus or the positive side of that archetype. And I think we have to talk about that because even with Pluto, you know, we can talk about transformation. It's not only you're taking to the underworld, there is a, a challenge. And I think if we don't talk yeah. about it, it's going to sound like chaos and destruction yeah, of no, which, no. Yeah, you for know. Sure. For sure, for sure. I mean, because think of the logic, if you are um, doing anything, whether it's in sports, which may fit the archetype a little bit better, but then anything you do, it could be business, could be, uh, uh, you're studying a subject, of course, you're not doing it in a cave, you're doing it in society, you're aware of what other people are doing. And the, the notion of saying, okay, I want to reach this other person's level, or I want to emulate, or I want yeah, to, yeah. It, th this is how it works. And, and that can be provided you keep it in perspective, right? If you then let it become ultra dominant, then it wouldn't be so good. Uh, and that, the whole idea is as soon as you say cutthroat, then it's, right. it's like it's just you're taking no prisoners. That probably isn't good. Right. But if you extract the, the gem, yeah, that's, that's totally true. And it, this is where it is. If, if it's the sister of, isn't she the sister of, of uh, Mars? Yeah, she's the sister of Mars. So then, I mean, that immediately connects it to Mars, and, uh, Mars energy, yeah. which brings that principle in. Mars is competitive as well. It's, right. it's a very physical planet. So Yes, it's it's. It, I, I would say that that's one of the the better the better uh, ways to interpret it. The, 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 you heard my theory of the the three parts. The, one of the theories that I have, if you go with what I uh, the logic you've expressed in the past about how through Jungian psychology you you discover everything in yourself. Everything is really in you. So all these you know forces when you bring up doesn't matter Juno, Pallas. These are yeah. all things that somehow are part of you. So then, then you say, well, okay, well, there were three forces, right, at, at play. And as soon as you say three, well, okay, in terms of, if you're thinking about a love triangle, that wouldn't be good. That would be misplacing. <laughs> not good, not good. But if you said, if you said three is, is, is the three, six, nine series, that there's a promise of harmony. If you can harmonize, there are three things happening. So Juno, uh, Pallas Athena and Aphrodite represent a person's uh, drive toward their place in society, Juno. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, of course, you can then descend into the dark side with too much status and all of that. But the place in society is your job, your career, what people will know you for. There are all sorts of 
positive uh, manifestations of that. Then you have Pallas Athena would represent, at least in some sense, the search for wisdom. You, you're, you're searching for something, some knowledge, some understanding, life philosophy, all that stuff. That seems obviously really important as well. And then Aphrodite, and that would be the way, but that's probably Logos, right? Logos. Right, yeah. And then Aphrodite, you go to Eros, it's the love principle and all of the different permutations and combinations that can bring in, but it's obviously a really important yeah, thing as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So then in a way it's signaling to you that this planet requires some kind of balancing act, which th this is where maybe it is Libra, but maybe not. Even if you don't bring in Libra, then you're trying to balance three principles, which doesn't fit Libra because Libra is two, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> just stay with, <laughs> stay with me for a second. So then you go, well, there's three. So then the logic is if a person can figure out how to uh, balance or somehow harmonize, maybe that's a better word, the three principles, then their life takes on a, a happy order. And you notice that many times when people go to courses, they'll draw those wheels where they say, well, okay, how many points do you give to your relationship? I'll draw two, and then, but I'm getting eight in the whatever area. And you, you can even bring, by the way, uh, the physicality of, because it's connect, connect, connected to Mars, uh, perhaps it's the Pallas Athena, because Pallas Athena is a warrioress as well, right? Yeah. So there's a bit of an Yeah, she, she comes fully armed from Zeus. Right. So, yeah. so in other words, this is where, in that sense, you could say, just like, for example, Pluto at the beginning, nuclear power, everything is disordered. It's really scary. I mean, the first yeah. uh, 15 years, you're running for your life from Pluto. Maybe this is the way all planets work at the beginning. But then the logic would be, as time passes, perhaps this will lead to greater awareness where uh, yeah. humanity starts to realize, yeah, there are these forces in me. I need to balance them and right, right. good systems, good awareness can come online where, where that could happen. You know? Okay. So two things about that. The number three, of course, is really big in fairy tales because it's the number of transformation, really. You cannot, you could, two just knocks against each other. The third allows movement forward. So it's often actually associated with the masculine principle in that sense. You cannot you need that to move something ahead, right? right. Um, and the issue of that, the reason I, the way I teach this, because I'm interested in storytelling, most of the people in my group are actually artists. And the way somebody pointed out yesterday that whenever I try to get them to think of two planets in, in contact with each other, I always go tell me a story. Because you have to, you know, the story yeah. evolves from, because it can be many different stories, the yeah. multivalent. Yeah. And so I want to hear, well, what are you, what's your story on, let's say, Pluto Venus? And I was thinking that the reason you can almost look at it as a, as a musical score, right? So I'm a big fan of Wagner and opera for this one reason, that he introduced the concept of a leitmotif to his, or a leitmotif, whatever, however way you want to uh, pronounce it, into his operas. And so, and this is exactly around 1846, by the way, he was working when Neptune came on to the, the unconscious comes online, right? And what he would do, which is really clever is, the, the singer is singing something and you're see, hearing him sing or her sing, but in the background, he created these little pieces of music that will tell you what they were thinking as opposed to what they were actually singing. Now think about this, just stay with me as a, as a metaphor for how this works, right. right? So think of an astrological chart as a musical score, right? Right. You're born with Pluto score Venus. That's a pretty hard to, to combine. The story there is somehow you have to bring your capacity for relationship and the fact that you get taken to the underworld every time you do try to relate. Okay, so then it shows up on a musical score. Here's the brilliance of what Wagner did, specifically with one particular opera called Tristan and Isolde, where he uses one motif to um, describe the yearning that these two have for each other, which will never get realized in, in, in life. They have to die before this gets realized. So he has this motif show up a hundred times, but every time 
it shows up. It shows up just a little bit different, differently, right? It sounds just a little bit differently. And that's the way I look at an aspect, that every time you that Pluto Venus gets activated, you're no longer the same person. You, you're older. Uh, you've gone through some experience. So it's still there. That's still the same piece that's kind of working in the background, but somehow it is transformed, right? Completely. Right. And in, in the end with Tristan and Soldi, they have to die. In a way, these are never resolved. You're going to die with these imprint that you had, but somehow in those hundred repetitions or whatever many repetitions you had, you were able to get some space, right? So that when you right. were driven into the Pluto Venus story, you may be able to say, okay, I can step back just for a second and maybe not go to the underworld this time. Yeah. You'll still go to the underworld, I think, but you'll just have more consciousness around it. And I think that's where Jung was really, really, and that's why he was interested in astrology. And my big interest is alchemy as well. He was interested because he understood the alchemists were just depth psychologist before psychology was really articulated, right? So he would say the real problem is not, um, it's that we're not talking about different gods being inside of us, right? Uh, because what's happened is we decided there was one God and then we, we stopped. And then so when someone gets into a depression, they think, oh, I'm going to die because they're mistaking the part for the whole. Whereas if you can teach people to say, well, no, your Venus is kind of afflicted right now. Maybe you need to talk to that part of yourself. Then there's a bit of understanding, right? And this is what attracts me to this whole thing. It's that archetypal psychological level where and I think it's been forgotten by a lot of the newer astrologers because they kind of want to leave Liz Green and all the people doing the work in astrological, uh, psychological astrology. And it's too bad because it is oh, yeah. so powerful, yeah, right? Yeah. In terms of, uh, of what it can teach you about yourself. Totally. I mean, when you think about what, the, what, what you're saying, that what was coming to mind immediately is think of someone, suppose someone has Pluto, you, you said Pluto Venus, right? You yeah, that's an example. That. So suppose a person has Pluto Venus. Well, the darkest end of that would be uh the power the power principle pluto is not developed enough so then there's the relationships can become really unbalanced and one person is controlling another and then that can lead to the torrid love affairs that go that go sour and then you have to discover your power and all that kind of stuff to not let it happen again but the idea is that the person has this this pull toward expressing pluto venus and so in a way, what they're saying is it, it, Pluto is intensity and Venus is love. So then they'll seek for whatever they understand at that point. And if they get it wrong, they get more suffering, then transformation happens. But then picture that person, for example, could be in the reflecting the young, the, what was the, is it Paris? Who was the person's name? That Paris is the okay, so he, he's at that stage where he's more likely to get zapped by Pluto Venus and then he goes off on, a, on an adventure and then he ages 10 years, 20 years and he reaches a point where he thinks this doesn't work. Doing it this way is a really bad idea, but he still has it inside. So maybe as he gets wiser, he's able to then bring in love for humanity. Venus yes. is still love. So now you get it to a, to a much higher level yes. and you produce better results because uh, people can be elevated rather than, you know, right. torn down. When it, you know, so, so it's sort of the logic that, it, it never goes away. If you've got Pluto, whatever, it's always there. Your your task is to transform it to a to a better level. Which you know, this links to what I often say to people with reading charts. The charts are not fixed. No charts. Uh, the part where you have an input will transform those planets and allow them to express in better ways, which therefore affects your fate, which presumably will will improve because the right, planets. Right they're wiser, yeah. they're more together, yeah. more balanced and so forth. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, and I love what you said about Pluto Venus, because one of the things I've noticed with doing charts is that a lot of artists have Pluto Venus. And one of the ways they resolve that, that square or that opposition or that conjunction is through making art. That's one of the best ways. Or actually, by the way, even if you're not an artist, you can see certain artworks that will appeal to you because you have that Pluto Venus and it helps you um, 
uh, process whatever that emotion involved with that it's hooked onto it right and yeah you never really fully resolve it and actually Jung said the same thing he said you never fully resolve a complex and I've tweeted this out before and people get angry and they go well what do you mean this it's like okay well, I'm condemned I'm doomed it'll never happen yeah well, I mean, it, it does, it does, you never do but as Pema Shodan says you can get space that's all really you're looking yeah, for yeah yeah right and, and, and the thing is the other thing is that it's it's a little bit like what like people uh pondering ultimate realities and and the idea of being comfortable with with uncertainty right and not thinking this is terrible why is that terrible it's just a, a mind adjustment where yeah. you simply adjust so then it's the idea that uh, i remember the sufi master privilei used to say it's like an infinite regress it, it just it's it's way you know it's always pulling you yeah. but that's how things develop that's the idea that in a way uh, perfection is the enemy of the good you can go along and you can get closer and closer and and of course you can get much happier than you used to be by uh harmonizing these principles rather than being completely overwhelmed by some plutonian thing or some yeah. you know yeah. i mean think of think of the uh, when you think of imagining putin's mind he's completely captive of that really dark side of pluto where you, you you've got this idea that if you oppress other people and you have all this power and yeah. and all this craziness that this somehow is good. It's not, it's horrible. No, right? no but that's to... a low level living out of a principle. There was some consciousness. See, well, what Jung said was at the end of the day, <clears throat> things go much better for you if you're more conscious. That's just why you do this work, right? Yeah. Um, it's not about anything else that you will actually live a better life. Not, not that you'll have more success, not more that you'll have find the perfect partner, but you yourself will be able to engage with the world in a way that is not filled with strife and, and bitterness. And, and you'll stop hurting people as much too, by the way, which is yeah, the whole reason yeah. to do this stuff. Well, so, you know, and by the way, uh, see, this is the thing that, that it, yes, it's true that it doesn't guarantee anything. It's just that when you become more conscious, the, the idea is that all the principles express more harmoniously and, and your odds, if you say life is like a system of odds, they also dramatically increase that you will be more successful because right. you'll have more common sense, more wisdom, yes. make better choices. This is natural. I mean, they, they, yeah. they go together. Otherwise, you, then you say, well, no, really all this progress is only for some spiritual thing where you can sit in the corner and space out and yeah, yeah, when yeah. You're, you're happy, but you're totally broke. That's not how it works. No, no, Typically, no, no. because you live in the world, you have, you have a better mind, you're more settled, you make better choices, you then have more, more prosperity. And, and I, I would even go further and then get into the, uh, with you, it would be the sort of the numinous, the, that numinous quality yeah. of Neptune, where there's mysterious, uh, you call it almost like a magnetism that changes, and it literally changes your fate so that things happen that reflect your new harmony versus yeah. before they were reflecting your old harmony. So all of that is good. And it is, yeah, it's totally true that it's consciousness. Oh. Actually, Jung actually said, whatever you don't work in within you, you will experience outside is fate. And if that doesn't scare the hell out of you, I don't know what will at the end of the day. Now, here's a question for you. Are we both totally into this, the word responsibility and wisdom, because we're both Capricorns? <laughs> <laughs> when Saturn is a ruler, I guess because yeah, sometimes I mean, you know, the reason I'm asking God is I'll be a dinner table conversation. Of course, I'm always get serious, and some of them are like, What? <laughs> so I'm wondering if also our predisposition to this language and to this way of seeing is also actually part of the map that we carry. You know, it could be, right? It's, you mean it's a for, wait, wait, but which part? You mean like are you, are you saying we're 
overplaying the palace Athena? Like what angle are you? No, 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 no. I mean, I, the, the emphasis, for example, for me, the word responsibility is huge, right? Um, because it, it seems to me that what's missing often is the yeah. ability, you know, freedom is great, but if you don't have the responsibility, then I just don't, yeah, you know, well, it sure. doesn't make sense to me. That's right. a Saturn word, right? So your Saturn uh, yes, rules, true. you know, I, it could be that it's, it's, it's part of that whole story. It, sure, but I mean, the thing is, okay, so the word contains response and ability. You have the ability to respond. Yeah. What are you responding yeah. to? You're responding to a situation in the wisest way so you won't get in trouble. A lot of this is if you reduce it and say, well, what, you know, why do people do anything? They're trying to stay safe and they're and they they're trying to in some way make their life easier the reason you should be responsible is to respond properly to things it's not that complicated it's not because your your master or your teacher told you so it's because you would do that if you had any common sense yeah, which is yeah, also sure. a very practical word. practical <laughs> word and by the way saturn is exalted in libra which is a relationship yeah. sign so this is what we're doing all the time it's not just uh well i'm restricting myself for no reason no if you restrict something it's because you realize it's better to restrict it than not yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's my so, way of looking at it as well. There you uh, are. Yeah, exactly. So, well, great. This has been a, wow, what a, what a, what a ton of information. Uh, but I think the bottom line would be that, that Iris, even though it's way out there, very far away and moving really slow, it's super important. It's also true that uh, you can always, with a planet like this, if it's in your chart, it never does anything, um, you know, like uh, by transit because it disappears mm -hmm. forever. There is the solar arc uh, right. measurement that that I can attest to from personal experience. Definitely has effect. This was one of the things that um, Stephen Forrest pointed out that you could solar arc it, so you can find out you know what what the effect is in mm. your chart. I haven't tried that with uh, mine. I will. Yeah. yeah, it's it's important because often mm. you you don't get any any uh, connection. In my own case. I can actually trace it in transit because it's done a number of things in my right. life because it caught different right. important points. So, but yeah, it's, it's a super important energy. And I think the thing we didn't talk about a lot, but maybe you could say a little bit about this too, is the notion that if you think about Pluto, Pluto is discovered in 1930. So in a certain way, isn't that going to make the plutocratic element ascendant and perhaps move us into a world where that's sort of the accepted thing right. that's happening. Now, Iris is coming in and challenging that. And so the idea that feminine power is rising, and it, you can see this, uh, if you look at the 2005 period and forward, there are all these markers that are pointing in that direction. Um, world leaders, you know, more world leaders that are women, uh, more yeah. women in politics. In fact, yeah. that's one of the... Um, the side effects, the good unintended consequence of Trump is that he he drives women into into right, government right. because they're so upset. <laughs> right, 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 right. And but so then it's ascending, and and the notion that as time passes, that to me would be one of the hopes because I think it's very unbalanced. The, the, the okay. you think plutocracy, you think male patriarchy, paternalistic, mm -hmm. you know, behavior that I think is it's exhausted. It's just totally exhausted. Like what's happened to the world that way is almost a form of madness, you know? Where... Okay, so let, let me tell you why I think it happened from the mythological side. I forgot to mention this, but it's actually really crucial about what happens with the Iliad, right? Which of course is the back, what happens, what's involved with the judgment of Paris. The first thing that happens, and I think it speaks to why it's related to the feminine principle is the, Agamemnon, who is the general, who is the brother of Melanias, that Helen was his wife, so they, they mount an army to go to Troy. 
their ships won't sail because Artemis is angry at Agamemnon because he's 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 killed one of his her sacred uh, stags. So he's told by a seer the only way those those ships will sail is if you sacrifice your daughter who is about 17 at this time, 16, same age as Paris. Now, just listen to this. And by the way, wow. George R. R. Martin fans and the Game of Thrones fans, he's a brilliant reader of myths and history, and he incorporates this all into that series. So what he does, which is unbelievable, is he lies to the wife and the daughter, and he tells the daughter, get dressed for your wedding. You're marrying Achilles, who is the big hot guy, right? The Brad Pitt of the era. And so they dress her up, the wife and the, and the daughter go to the marriage, and at the last moment, she is basically sacrificed, murdered. The way that is interpreted in the Jungian world is that is the beginning of the murdering of the feminine principle, which, by the way, is not gendered. It doesn't belong only to women. It belongs to both of us. But it is the principle of relationship, right relationship, connection. Right. And, of course, you need to almost murder it so you can build that left brain in a way. Not be, but yes. it is so extreme, right? Right. right, that what is happening. And, and Jung's whole work and von France and all the people who followed him was they were exhorting you to you have to rescue the feminine principle. You must, right. uh, because if you don't, it's it's you know totally catastrophic. I think it's it's hair raising that the last thing that Jung left just before he died was a record of what he thought the last fifty years on Earth were going to be. And uh, he said, oh, there's still some life somewhere. I don't know where these 50 years begin, but you think to yourself, okay, um, even metaphorically, if you don't do this, it's 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 going to lead to to sheer catastrophe, which we've seen, right? I mean, you can't look at the environment and say that we haven't done something horrible. Yes. So yeah, the sacrifice of that feminine principle is at the heart of it. And while I see women going into politics and you know, I'm glad for it and whatever, I don't see the feminine is as an archetypal principle yet being given the due that it has to because the feminine is an archetypal principle says, look, I sit with you at the table and we figure something out. We don't scream at each other. I don't try to lord it over you. That is not given a lot of uh, attention or it's not a way we're approaching things. So what we have to work on collectively is bringing that into the conversation. And I don't know how do we do how we do that when everybody's screaming at each other across, you know, that we talked about this before when we talked about Venus. I just don't see how it's done. I think the only way to do it, and Jung had this answer, and that's why I think the personal chart's really important, work on it in yourself, and then you're not going to pull this on anybody else. Correct. And that's really right. the final thing about the chart, right? If you know these, these uh, forces that are at work in your psyche, you'll work with them so at least you don't damage somebody else. You don't project it. You don't you know, find an enemy everywhere where really the enemy is within always because you haven't worked that out. So that's right. I think yeah, that's, that's the only answer, right? Yeah, that's true. That's entirely true, and it actually fits really well with um the whole the feminine principle is the yin principle in right. the yin yang polarity and it's the idea that for instance when you're meditating you are receiving and you're just you're just there feminine in a way is being just being right. the active the male principle is active right. so the way you can you can deploy both in meditations the active side is where you do the physical work to allow that receptive energy to be more clear because if you Sometimes if you try to sit and meditate, it's there's too much restlessness. So you use the, the male principle first, then you receive energy. But that uh, what it's doing is uh, you're in the space that's actually deploying the right brain. The, the right brain is that which knows things without naming them. It's nonverbal, right? So in a way, if a person said, well, what is meditation? Meditation is spend a few minutes and just go into the nonverbal place which means anything that comes up that's verbal, you just say, I'm ignoring that. I'm letting it go for now. And the better you get at that, the more the right brain is deployed, which is your receptivity, which is your female nature. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, both, both genders have access to that. So you, you, you could say this links to, for instance, people that have said, if more people in the world 
spend time meditating, spend time in being, yeah. the world would improve because you, you would get away from that insanity of, uh, you know, the, the, the aggression, the, 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 you know, the disharmony. Right, right. Yeah, and you see that in mindfulness studies, by the way. I mean, this is what you see over and over again because you a change the actual brain. I mean, that's been uh, mm -hmm. documented, and you see the, in in the actual change in behavior of the person doing it. So, right. which is where the proof is. So, absolutely. Right. Well, that's yours for you. We'll take on another one. That's yours. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to go to the next myth and the next one. And uh, well, this is really fun though because it, it flushes out the world. Like I said, mythology connects the brain mm -hmm. in a way that. Um, if you talk about, yeah, the, the facts are there and you should never ignore them. I think you can have the biggest problem people get in with this is I love science. I love I love reading um, How I Killed Pluto, that book. It was a lot of fun because you, like you watching all those um, science documentaries, it's not an either or. You can love both of them. I they both. don't have to exclude yeah. each other. Right. Both. But my part, you know, what I generally find in the culture is as soon as you start speaking mythologically, people shut down and say, oh, that's just yeah. that's just <laughs> it's like, OK, yeah, right. I mean, all right. I mean, it's a, I, I covered that in, in my class today, the astrology class, that the, the synchronicities are, are staggering. I mean, I, staggering. I, I, I any, any scientist with even a small modicum of, you know, uh, openness would say, yeah, that's pretty strange that you would get the naming of it by someone who never even followed it up, who had yeah. Pluto on her son at the time, who was born yeah. with Pluto. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's staggering it, and it keeps yeah. repeating. And especially the craziness of, naming a planet and then having it act out what you named it yeah, because you could yeah, have named it anything else. I know. So, I know. No. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah. yeah. It's very well, rich. I think they're missing out half the story and I, I feel like it enriches the world as well, enriches my world. So to me, it's like, okay, you can be open or you can't be open to it. Um, I, I find it is connecting and, uh, and it explains a lot, you know, it explains a lot, even within, especially for the individual. I think it really, it is, of some comfort to know, right, that there is something that awareness can help you along the path. If you are aware that you have right. Saturn square the sun or whatever, there are some things you can do. You can do to make that easier. Correct. Right? Correct. So yeah, correct. why not? I mean, you know? I mean, a lot of times in astrology, if you if all you know is where the cycles are and you are just not going to do anything about it at all, even just saying you wait out something, you know the cycle will change. And the pressure, whatever you're feeling, will change. And of course, that's not the ideal way to do it, but it's still no, right. yeah. the notion that it's cyclical, it keeps moving. And so being aware of that, it's like the idea that if you knew, yes, I am currently captured by the Pluto archetype. That's why, yeah. whatever, right? Then you know it's true now, but it won't be true yeah. in whatever period of time. Right? That's right. All right. Well, do we continue? Okay. Well, forward, thank you. I look forward to the next uh, deep exploration <laughs> of some other archetype. Right on. Okay. Thanks. Great. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about all of this, go to YouTube where you will find Andre's channel called Astrology Alert. He posts videos there almost daily. He also teaches classes through his Patreon account. You can find me at sophiacycles.com. If you want to support my work, I've recently released a new novel called Invocation, which you may find of interest. Go to my website to see a book trailer about it. It's available in all fine bookstores, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Finally, if you like this podcast, please rate it and leave a review so that others will find it as well. Mm -hmm.